We are on Yavamos, the last few words on Samach Ambez on 60b, moving on to 61a, Samach Aleph, Amir Aleph on the top. Uh, once again, our learning should be a merit for the complete and speedy recovery of Avi Chaim Ben Chava. We are continuing on on a new discussion in the Gemara, a short topic in the Gemara. It's really brought up, it has nothing really to do with the previous discussion, but uh, the reason why it is mentioned is because it's another statement of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. We mentioned in last week's recording a statement about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, about um, who a Kohen is allowed to marry, a regular Kohen is allowed to marry, whether they're allowed to marry somebody who converted under the, from when they were under the age of three. Um, and now this is a new statement of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. V'chein hayu Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Omer Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, Kivrei ovdiyachol kolchavam einon mitamin ba'oel. That the kvaros of ovdiyachol the the cemeteries of non-Jews, a non-Jewish kever, grave, does not uh, cause... Uh, impurity through ohel. There are different forms of transferring impurity. One is through touching, one is through carrying. There's another one of being under the same roof. If you are under the same roof, so then that would also cause an impurity. We know that a Kohen is not allowed to become impure. And Rabshun Baruchai says that uh, if a Kohen is in, let's say, the same room, they're under the same roof, or they are standing over uh, a non-Jewish uh, corpse, a dead body of a non-Jew, so then they do not become impure. Nobody becomes impure, and therefore it would not be forbidden for the Kohen to be in the same room as uh, the dead body of a non-Jew. How do we know that? Shinamar ve'etensoni tson marisi adem atem. Atem kreen adam because the verse says in Yechaskel, in Ezekiel, the verse says that you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and you are referred to as Adam. You are you are a person, you are Adam, 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 you are a person. You, referring to the Jewish people, you are Adam. You are what's referred to as Adam, as a person. Non-Jews are not referred to as Adam, as a person. And when it comes to impurity, the Torah tells us, Adam ki The verse says that a person, when a person uh, dies in the OL, in the tent, in the room, and so it says specifically in Adam, and only a Jew is referred to as an Adam, as a person, but not a non-Jew. Now this sounds uh, like a very strong statement. What does it mean exactly that only Jews are referred to as Adam, as a person, but non-Jews are not people. Of course, non-Jews are people. What does it mean that uh, that Jews are referred to as Adam? So there are a few different explanations that are given. I will give a few different, some of the explanations that are given. Um, one explanation is that it's Adam, that we are people in the sense that only for Jews, Jews believe that everyone, every single person is created in the image of God, and everyone has so much potential to connect to God even regardless of whether or not you are part of the clergy, you are a rabbi, it doesn't make a difference. Every single person has that ability to get very, very close uh, to God by emulating God and following the ways of the Torah, as opposed to other religions. Other religions believe that if you're part of the clergy, so then you have a closer relationship with God, and that's not true. 
Uh, when it comes to Judaism, we b- very much believe everyone is created in the image of God. And so everyone is an Adam. Everyone has this uh, status of Adam. A second explanation given by the Radak is that it's in the, within the context of the verse. It says that you are my sheep. That if you follow in the ways of God, if you follow through the, the Torah and the mitzvahs and the commandments, so then you are Adam, then you are a person. You are not following your animalistic uh, tendencies to follow just your pleasures and to be seduced by the pleasures of the world. You are using your intellect and your spirituality to be go above that, be up, above and beyond your animalistic tendencies, and then you are referred to as Adam. Then you are referred to as a person as opposed to an animal. If you are my sheep, if you are following in the ways of God. And that is a second approach to explain this concept that Jews are referred to as Adam, as a person. There is a third explanation that we will give. This will be our final explanation, a fascinating explanation given by the Kliyakar. And he explains as follows. He says there are different words that are referred to as a person. There's Adam. Adam we're referring to here as Adam. There's also Ish. There's Enosh. There's Gever. There are different words that are referred to as a person in the Hebrew language. However, Adam is the only one of these four that doesn't have a plural associated with it. Ish is Ishim. Enosh is Anashim. Gever is Gvarim. They all have the singular and the plural. But there is no plural form for Adam. And the Kliyakar explains that the idea behind this is that when we, we say that the Jews are Adam as opposed to the non-Jews, it means we are one. We don't even have a plural form to us because we are all one. When it comes to the Jewish people, we are one entity. We are one body. And we are all together. We have that achdus. We have that unity that exists amongst the Jewish people that doesn't exist amongst the non-Jews. And that's what it means that the Jews are Adam. They are One, they have that sense of unity as opposed to the non-Jews. A very beautiful explanation. Okay, so the point of Rav Shem is to say that we are Adam when it tells us in the verse that um, a a non-Jew, a dead non-Jew, the body of a a non-Jew does not cause impurity when it's specifically in the context of, um, doesn't transfer impurity in the context of being in the same room or uh, or above the dead body. Uh, and so therefore a Kohen would allow it to be in the same room as the dead body of a non-Jew. Now this has very significant ramifications. Um, for example, is a Kohen allowed to go to medical school? When, there's, when they go to medical school, so then they work on dead bodies um, of non-Jews, presumably. Um, and So are they allowed to go to medical school? Are they allowed to be in the same room, depending on different scenarios of, let's say, uh, in a dentist's office, sometimes you have this, that you have dead body um, parts um, are they are they allowed to be in those rooms? Are they not allowed to be according to Shimon Bar Yochai? It would be permissible. It wouldn't be a problem. We'll see whether or not we follow the, the halacha, whether the halachic ruling actually follows the position of Shimon Bar Yochai. But that is the position of Shimon Bar Yochai. Anyways, we'll get to to the actual halacha as we conclude the Gemara. But let's just continue on to the Gemara. The Gemara asks Meisavet Adam The challenges. We'll have a few challenges to this, but one of them is from when it, in the context of Midian um, and with regards to uh, the people that were in Midian. That, uh, and it says, V'nefesh Adam Shishar Sar Aleph. There were 16,000 of the people, and it refers to of Midian, non-Jews, and it refers to them as Adam. Well, how could it say Adam? So the Gemara explains Mishim Behemah because it's in contrast 
to behema to the animals that they also took into captivity. Another verse: Asher yeshba harbe mishtemesri ribu adam asher lo yada benyamina lismolo ubehema rabba. This is also in the context of Yonah. It also says adam in the context of a non-Jew. How could that be? So there too, the Gemara explains mishum behema because it's in contrast to an animal that a non-Jew will be referred to as adam, in contrast to an animal. Finally, the last question that the Gemara has: Kohoreg nefesh v'cholnoge bechalot tishchato. Um, that it says in the context of Midian, when they when they uh, when they went to battle with Midian, that anybody who killed uh, somebody else and they touched the uh, through a sword, so then they have to go through a purification process. They would only have to go through a purification process if they became impure. How did they become impure? So the Gemara answers: Dilma Ktol Chad Me Yisrael. Rishon will explain that maybe. In, Unfortunately, they ended up. They they it was that it was one of their own that they killed one of their own. It wasn't that they killed a non-Jew from Midian, but really they killed one of their own. And when they kill one of their own, to then they would become impure. The Rabbanan, we know that there are the Rabbanan. This is the position of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. However, the majority argues in Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and says that they in fact do become uh, impure. That the the, impurific, the impurity of a dead non-Jew does get transferred through. Uh, being in the same room. So the Rabban will explain, you cannot explain that it means that maybe they killed an, one of their own, a Jew, because the verse says explicitly that there was uh, not a single Jew who was killed. Uh, so this seems to be a pretty clear proof that it must be that they killed a non-Jew and yet they became impure. Uh, would explain that no, what it means that uh, that nobody was nobody was. Uh, uh, was left over, nobody was killed, it means that nobody sinned. It doesn't mean that nobody necessarily died. It means that there was no Jew who committed an Avera, that committed a sin. And that's what it's referring to within that context. And really, it could be that a Jew died. And that would explain Rishim Baruchai, that if a Jew died, so then the impurity would get transferred over. According to the Rabbanan, according to the majority opinion, not a single Jew died in this battle. And so therefore, it must be referring to the death of a non-Jew. And we see that the impurity is transferred over. And that is all one explanation. However, there is a second explanation. Ravina Ravina says, well, what's the whole question here about the impurity transferring during this battle? Ravina says, what are, we, what are you talking about here? Uh, when we said that the impurity is not transferred over with regards to the dead body of a non-Jew, that's only in the context of OL, only in the context of being under the same roof, being in the same room. So then the impurity isn't transferred over because specifically in that context, the verse says Adam, the verse says Adam ki a person who dies in the room, in the tent, and it's referring to a Jew. However, everyone agrees, says Ravina, that the impurity does transfer over through touching uh, or through carrying that would that would cause the impurity to transfer over, and that certainly what happened in Midian, and that is the position of Ravina, and so this would definitely explain uh, what took place in Midian. Okay, so that is the end of the Gemara. How do we follow Kuntadacha? Do we follow the position of Rishon Bar or do we follow the majority position of the Rabbanan? Is subject to dispute. Uh, to make things fairly simple, the Rambam Maimonides says that we we follow Rishon Bar and in fact the Kohen. Does not is allowed to be in the same room as a the body of a the, of a de, the dead body of a non-Jew, and the impurity isn't transferred over. However, Tosos argues and Tosos says that no, uh, we do not follow the position of Rishon Bar Yochai, and 
the impurity is transferred over, and therefore the non-Jew cannot be in the same room. The Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah, the major halachic authorities, essentially say that by the letter of the law, we follow the, follow the position of the Rambam. We do follow the position of the Rambam to say that, that we follow Rishon Bar Yochai and the impurity is not transferred over when they are in the same room, if it's the dead body of a non-Jew. However, they point out that even though that's, uh, we, fo- we follow the position of the Rambam, but it's very good to be stringent and follow and to be more stringent and follow the other positions who say that we do not follow the position of Rishon Bar Yochai, that we are stringent to assume the impurity does transfer over, and that is what they say. And in general, that's the way we follow, that we follow that position, that really they should be careful um, and they should refrain from being in the same room as of a non-Jew as well, uh, which would impact many different scenarios, going to uh, uh, going to a hospital, medical school. Um, we discussed all these different uh, scenarios. Uh, now, one has to analyze each case onto its own because there are certain positions, there are certain post-skim halachic authorities who are of the opinion that if we could combine different other, depending on the scenario, maybe there's other reasons to be lenient, so then if we have a combination of different leniencies, so then we would, in fact, uh, be lenient. Um, so you'd have to know each case and analyze each case uh, independently, which we do not have time to go into, but it's very important uh, to do so because perhaps there are, uh, in fact, uh, different leniencies, uh, potentially, potentially. Some opinions say that there aren't any leniencies, but potentially maybe there are leniencies to allow a coin, depending on the circumstance, to be in the same room as uh, the dead body of an non-Jew. Okay, that is the end of that part of the Gemara. We are now up to a new Mishnah. There are a few short Mishnayos here. And the Mishnah says as follows. This is a Mishnah, we quoted this earlier, and now we're still discussing the different uh, prohibitions of a Kohen Gadol, the high priest. Who are they allowed to marry? Who are they not allowed to marry? So what happens in the following scenario? Let's say it was a regular Kohen. He wasn't the Kohen Gadol yet. Regular Kohen, and he became engaged to a widow. Became engaged to a widow. Then, before he's fully halachic engagement, before he's fully married, he becomes the Kohen Gadol. He's appointed as the Kohen Gadol, as the high priest. So the Mishnah says that they're allowed to get married. It's permissible for them to get married. As we will see in the Gemara, it's based on a specific drasha, a specific way of reading the verse. Umaisa bi Yeshua ben Gamla. In fact, there was a story of Yeshua ben Gamla. Shekidesh is Mirsa bas Baistos. Umino hamelach lios Kohen Gadol v'Kansa. We have a proof to this from a story. Yeshua ben Gamla was engaged to Marsa Basbaitos, who was a widow. And then after, during their engagement, the king appointed him to become the Kohen Gadol, become the high priest. This is during the times of the second base of Mikdash, the second temple. And then they got married, even though he was the high priest, but because they were originally engaged, uh, so before before he became the high priest, so therefore he's allowed to marry her. However, says the Mishnah, that's the first half of the Mishnah, that only applies if... Um, if uh, they were engaged. However, But what happens if you have a case of where we have the brother-in-law and the sister-in-law and it's a case of potential yibum? So we have the brother who passes away without any children and now there's the zika, there's this strong connection between the brother-in-law and the sister-in-law. Uh, nevertheless, uh, and he was a regular Kohen at the time that the brother passed away and before they did yibum. Uh, he becomes the Kohen Gadol. Even, let's say, they did Mimer. Let's say they did the rabbinic form of Yibam. They did Mimer through the giving of a ring, uh, something like that. Even if they did Mimer, 
still, we say that it's not the same thing as being halachically engaged, which is a discussion that we've seen in the past. Exactly what exactly is that status, that, that Zika status of that connection between the brother-in-law and the sister-in-law? But it's not like being halachically engaged. And we say that if he becomes the Kohen Gadol, after the brother passed away, still, you should not do Yibam. You shouldn't do Yibam, because then the Kohen Gadol would be marrying, obviously, a widow. And so therefore, we don't allow that. We allow that if they were already engaged. But if there was just a case of a Shomer Yisavam, where the brother passed away without any children, and then there's just the Zika, this connection, uh, but it's not a halachic engagement, uh, so then we say that they should not uh, do Yibam. So we'll see the Gemara in this, and then we will conclude. It's a short Gemara. The Bryce says, how do we know that if there's a halachic engagement, and he's a regular Kohen, and then he becomes the Kohen Gadol before the actual marriage, how do we know that they're allowed to get married? It's based on uh, an added word. It says, Yikach Isha, that you take for yourself a wife, um, and that is coming to to teach us, this is within the context of who they're allowed to marry, it says, they should take for themselves a wife, coming to include a case where they are marrying a widow, provided that they were already engaged to her before they became uh, the Kohen Gadol. So the Gemara says, oh, if this is true, so then maybe this is also coming to include a case of Shomer Yavam, a case of where there's the Zika and this potential for Yibam. The Gemara says, no, there's only one extra word. It says, Isha wants Isha velo yivama, specifically if it's your wife, halachic engagement, and he's it's your wife, uh, so then in that context we allow it, but not if it's a yivama. Okay. Now there, Tosos points out elsewhere that uh, the Gemara and the Mishnah, they're only referring to the case of where uh, the Kohen becomes the Kohen Gadol during the engagement process. They're not discussing at all the case of, let's say he was a regular Kohen. They were fully married. They had a halachic engagement. They had a halachic marriage. Everything was fine. And then during the marriage, he becomes the Kohen Gadol. That's not discussed because that's obvious. That is obvious that that would be allowed. They would be allowed to stay married. We wouldn't say that they're not allowed, that they have to get divorced. That they say is obvious that they would be allowed to stay married. You might think that, that the Mish's case where they're only engaged, it's a halachic engagement, but they don't, they're not fully married. Maybe in that case, uh, they're not allowed to get married. And that's why the Gemara says that we prove it from the verse that they are, in fact, allowed to get married. Okay. The Gemara now continues, Maisa B'Yeshua. They're commenting on this story of Yeshua ben Gamla, who was appointed to be the Kohen Gadol. And they add to the comment on the story. We know in this manalo, it sounds like he was only appointed by the king, but in general, in order to be the Kohen Gadol, you also have to be appointed by your other Kohanim and the Sanhedrin. It sounds like he was not appointed by the Kohen, other Kohanim and the Sanhedrin. And this occurred in the second base of Migdash, in the second temple. Unfortunately, there was a lot of bribes in terms of who would become the Kohen Gadol. They would bribe the king to become the Kohen Gadol, to become the high priest. So Amar of Yosef, as we see from here, Katir We see from here that there's some sort of um, Kesher, there's some sort of connection here to to Rishayim, to people who are wicked, who people who are giving bribes. The Amar of Asir Vasi says, Tirkava de Dainri, that uh, his his wife, they were only halachically engaged, but his wife, um, Marsa Basbaitis, what did she do? She bribed the king, Yanai the king, to make her uh, husband uh, through this engagement, let's say the, the groom, Yoshua ben Gamla, to make him the Kohen Gadol, to make him the high priest. And so he became the Kohen Gadol through bribery, which unfortunately occurred during the times of the Second Temple. 
Um, and that's how he became the Kohen Gadol. So the Gemara is just pointing out that, that he became the Kohen Gadol not by being appointed by the Sanhedrin, by the high court to the Supreme, by the high court or by his by his uh, other Kohanim, by the other Kohanim, which is what should be done. Rather, he was appointed by the king and it was done through bribery. And that's what the Gemara says. There's a discussion whether this is the same Yeshua ben Gamla as we find in other contexts, because in other contexts we find him to be a very good person, uh, somebody who created a whole educational system. So that itself is a discussion which is found amongst the earlier commentators. Okay, we'll conclu- conclude with this uh, line in the Gemara, and we'll continue with a new Mishnah in the next recording.